So I just want to begin by saying thank you to Adam, uh, Adam Friended and Sitch for having me on their show. Um, Adam actually, you know, had sought me out a while ago to bring me on his broadcast for the purpose of exposing me to his audience. And a lot of my current audience come from that. So I appreciate that. And I really wish there was more of that nowadays. Back in 2008, when I was doing things, cross-promotion was just understood. Like, um, I go in discords nowadays, people don't want you to share links to anything. Whereas the rule in my discord is, please share your stuff. You know, uh, but that's just, I guess I come from a different culture when it comes to like internet journalism. But with that said... Uh, what went on when I was on their show recently, you know, I just looked back on it and I, I listened to it again and, and I was kind of asked to come on impromptu and wasn't really prepared to get more or less kind of ambushed um, because I guess I, I don't agree with them on some things. And one of them in particular has to do with uh, their interpretation of the events leading up to the war in Iraq, what it was motivated by. And that happens to be a topic that is very special to me specifically, very personal, I guess would be the word I would use. Um, when I ran for Congress, that that whole thing was going on. When I worked for Senator Mike Gravel, it was one of the reasons that he ran for president in 2008, was the Iraq War. Um, being an anti-war activist is extremely important to me, but they kind of, you know, challenged me on it. So here we are, you know, I'm your huckleberry, say when. Um, because what, a couple of the things that Adam said that really bothered me was one of them is, I don't think you have very much information, you know, um, and then he said, what was it? You see things through a certain lens, you know, which combined with the reading of the super chat of Dr. Whoever, who was basically just kind of shitting on me in their chat for like an hour, claiming that I have like some kind of mental problem that prevents me from admitting that I'm wrong. You know, it was just gaslighting at that point. It's like the only reason I don't agree with Adam on this topic, it must be that I have some mental deficiency and I, I just can't, you know. So, no, that's not what it is. Uh, the issue is, is that I'm usually very, very careful. Um, I study things very carefully before I do presentations on them. I didn't expect to be in a situation last night where I would be asked to debate two guys who were ganging up on me on a topic, but... That's what happened. I think I did okay. Um, but it's been so long since I looked at that topic that I really need to go do a refresher course, which is pretty much what I did all day. Um, I take my integrity as far as the information I share very seriously. So when somebody calls it out, you know, again, I'm your huckleberry. So let's begin. So first, I want to start with one thing that I've noticed while I was debating with them was that they kind of had a laughing like attitude about anything that they decided sounded too conspiracy theory oriented. Um, and I've ran into people that are definitely way over the top, you know, down the conspiracy rabbit hole. However, I've also run into people that can be hyper skeptical it's just as unreasonable to assume that everything is a conspiracy as it is to assume that everything is not a conspiracy. Um, and as history has shown us um, time and again, a lot of things that people have suggested were not conspiracies in many cases can turn out to actually be conspiracies. And it kind of brought to my mind a quote from George Carlin. Now, before I play this, I think some of it 
will be reminiscent in ways of, I think, what Adam is worried about is that he doesn't like, I guess, people that are black pilled about the election system. And that's, you know, it's relevant to, to the rest of the video that I'll be doing. But at the same time, the biggest reason I'm playing this has to do with him addressing conspiracy, you know, itself. I don't really, honestly, deep down believe in political action. I think the system contracts and expands as it wants to. It accommodates these changes. I think the civil rights movement was an accommodation on the part of the those who own the country. I think they see where their self-interest lies. They see a certain amount of freedom seems good, an illusion of liberty. Give these people, give these people a voting day every year so that they'll have the illusion of meaningless choice. Meaningless choice that we go like slaves and say, yo, I voted. The, the limits of debate in this country are, are, are are established before the debate even begins and everyone else is marginalized they're made to seem either to be communists or some sort of disloyal person a kook there's a word and now it's conspiracy say they've made that something that that is that is uh, sh should not be even entertained for a minute that powerful people might get together and have a plan doesn't happen you're a kook you're a conspiracy buff now there were two distinct arguments that I want to address in my own videos at least Due to memory, I may update that as I go back and look at the conversation I had with Sitch and Adam. Um, the first one is going to be about Iraq. The second one is going to be about the impact of money on politics. So that quote that I just played from George Carlin is kind of relevant to both of those topics. So, you know, we'll take it from there on that. I'm going to go ahead and get started now with this issue about Iraq. If... George W. Bush could have got him. He would have got him, though, because it would have been a huge win for his reelection campaign. Um, maybe. I mean, did you guys watch his Freudian slip about that particular? Yeah, I did. Invading Iraq. I was going to say, would it would it have been good for him? I don't know because their vested interest was trying to justify, you know, a continued war where they get to invade countries and you know, grab their oil rights. You know, I mean, it's not just, and it's not just Republicans either. Joe Biden had like troops and stuff like literally in Syria. Like, I think it was the second day he was in office, you know, mm. almost immediately. So note, uh, this is actually the article where I got that from. It was reported by the Kurdish press. U.S. sends 200 troops and 40 trucks of equipment to Syrian Kurdistan. On the day after Joe Biden was sworn in as the 46th president of the United States, 200 U.S. troops and 40 trucks of ammunition and equipment entered Syrian Kurdistan from Iraq. So but my problem is, is that the military industrial complex inevitably has its hands in just about all of it. And then the oil interests are extremely powerful. So it's it's hard for me to um simply just go along with whatever they're saying because they lied so often, but it isn't something that I really stamp my feet in the ground about, aside from obviously well, there are no weapons of mass destruction. I don't think the Iraq war was a product of the military industrial complex. I think that's the, the difference of opinion that you and I probably have. I, I think the Iraq war was the same reason why we want to help Ukraine out that we wanted to establish a first world democracy in the Middle East because then we believed all these other states would become democracies too and it would be 
you know, they'd be useful trading partners and also we wouldn't have to worry about terrorism anymore. So that was the play. That's what they said. That's what they did. And this whole idea that it's being run by, you know, Halliburton and for do you, for do you know what the project for wins. the New American Century is? You familiar with them? It's a think tank. No. Um, that's where the neoconservatives come from. The, you know, so Cheney, Rove, uh, Rumsfeld, right. uh, Wolfowitz, like all those guys um, were part of it. And that's where, you know, when you talk about the military industrial complex, Dick Cheney's company, Halliburton, basically took over construction for the things no, I, I that we were blowing that. up. But you can yeah. look at that two. You can look at that two ways. You can look at it as we're going to invade a country so Halliburton can make a bunch of money, or you can look at it, we're going to invade a country to establish a first world democracy, and for rebuilding infrastructure, we want to go with someone we trust that can do the job. So you go with someone you know. Well, well I, I, here, here's ahead, the thing. Sis. Here's the thing, is that, because I don't buy this, okay, like, Whenever something big happens, especially the government does something big, there's going to be multiple parties that have multiple motivations. Of course. So obviously, there are people involved in the government that you know want to go into Iraq because they want to increase military spending. There are people that want to go into Iraq because they want to be able to get oil, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if the goal of George Bush and of the executive branch and of, and of the government as a whole was just to get oil, the invasion of Iraq would have looked so different. They could have just literally gone in there, deposed Saddam, put in some authoritarian dictator 2.0, like we've done in other countries, but who would just be favorable to the U.S., and they would trade oil with us. That's and that would be the point. end of it. Yeah. But they didn't do that. But they did. They, they, it was horribly incompetently done because of rampant nepotism. If you read books like Life in the Emerald City and stuff, they talk about the rebuilding, of, the attempted rebuilding of Iraq. And because of the incompetence of the George W. Bush administration, essentially allowing, you know, all of Saddam's troops to basically take all the guns and hide in the hills, and that's who we were fighting for most of the war, um, that they actually did do, they, they did try to, to make this a functioning liberal democracy, even though it was horribly incompetently done. And that's what it looked like. It looked like, it looked like a, a foolish attempt to do this. Right. So I, I don't believe so i do think that the primary goal was you know as adam said this kind of domino effect that they they had the hubris to think and the naivety to think hey we're going to put this liberal democracy in the middle of the middle east and it's going to be so amazing and everyone's going to know and say hey george w bush you know tame the middle east and it's going to make all these democracies bloom everywhere else in the in this region it's gonna i think that was Israel really what he thought was run. yeah <laughs> like well there's some there was an insane amount of incompetence i definitely don't disagree with that there was a very good documentary about that called no end in sight mm -hmm. and they go over who what bush's appointee did and um they just made a lot of catastrophic so failures. we're all in agreement yeah, about so it reminds me actually a lot about trying to install the friendly dictator in south vietnam like it, it wasn't gonna work mm -hmm. um so there's so let's take a moment and actually get into exactly what was going on, because I, I don't know, it was one of the reasons why I might have sounded like I was a little knocked off kilter here was because what they were saying was just contradictory to what's been understood 
you know, in foreign policy circles to be the case for quite some time now. Um, but <laughs> the Iraq invasion was about oil, maximizing Persian Gulf oil flows to avert potential global, uh, global energy crisis motivated Iraq war planners, not WMDs or democracy. So definitely not the weapons of mass destruction, but it also wasn't any kind of like flowery Disney tales about how we're going to go spread these little democracies all over the world and it's going to be beautiful and sunshine and rainbows. Um, yesterday was the 11th anniversary of 2003 Iraq war, yet to this day a few media reflections on the conflict accurately explore the extent to which opening up Persian Gulf energy resources to the world economy was a prime driver behind the Anglo-American invasion. So like a side note on this, Saddam Hussein's government uh, nationalized the Iraqi oil back in the 70s. And what they didn't have control over was Saddam. Like he basically stopped doing what they asked him to do on the global market. And um, he was also making some overtures about, you know, selling his oil in ways that the oil industry did not agree with. But anyway, let me get back to the article. Um, So... The overwhelming narrative has been one of incompetence and failure in an otherwise noble, if ill-conceived and badly managed endeavor to free Iraqis from tyranny. This is actually exactly what um, Sitch and Adam just tried to say. But anyway, to be sure, the conduct of the war was indeed replete with incompetence at a colossal scale, but this doesn't erase the very real mendacity of the cold strategic logic that motivated the war um, you know, the wars for U.S. and British planners in the first place. According to the infamous Project for a New American Century, this is what I asked um, Adam if he knew about, and he had never heard of it. But the Project for a New American Century is basically the think tank that created the neoconservatives. Anyway, document endorsed by senior Bush administration officials as far back as 1997. While the unresolved conflict with Iraq provides the immediate justification for the U.S. to play a more permanent role in Gulf regional security, the need for a substantial American force presence in the Gulf transcends the issue of the regime of Saddam Hussein. Let's say that again. The need for a substantial American force presence in the Gulf transcends the issue of the regime of Saddam Hussein. So Saddam's WMDs were not really the issue, and neither was Saddam himself. The real issue, candidly described in a 2000 report on energy security commissioned by then-U.S. Vice, um, Vice President Dick Cheney, published by the Council on Foreign Relations and James, uh, the James Baker Institute for Public Policy, it warned of an impending global energy crisis that would increase U.S. and global vulnerability to disruption and leave the U.S. facing unprecedented energy price volatil uh, volatility. The main source of disruption, the report observed, is Middle Eastern tension, in particular the threat posed by Iraq. Critically, the documented, illust uh, documented illustrated the U.S. officials had lost all faith in Saddam due to his erratic and unpredictable energy export policies. In 2000, Iraq had effectively become a swing producer, turning its taps on and off when it has felt such action um, was in its strategic interest to do so. So Iraq was doing this annoying thing of selling the oil in the ways that were beneficial to them at the moment. Anyway, there is a possibility that Saddam Hussein may remove Iraqi oil from the market for an extended period of time in order to damage prices. Iraq remains a destabilizing influence to the flow of oil to international markets from the Middle East. Uh, from the Middle East. Saddam Hussein has also demonstrated a willingness to threaten to use the oil weapon to um, use his own export program to manipulate oil markets. This would display his personal power 
enhances image as a pan-Arab leader, and pressure, pressure others for lifting of economic sanctions against his regime. The United States should conduct an immediate policy review toward Iraq, including military, energy, economic, and political diplomatic assessments. The United States should then develop an integrated strategy with key allies in Europe and Asia and with key countries in the Middle East to restate goals with respect to Iraq, Iraqi policy and to restore a cohesive coalition of key allies. The Iraq war was only partly, however, for the big profits of Anglo-American oil conglomerates. That would be a bonus, one which would, in the end, um, fail to materialize the degree hoped for, not for the want of trying, though. The real goal, as Greg uh, Mutit documented in his book, Fuel on the Fire, citing declassified, declassified foreign office files from 2003 onwards, was stabilizing global energy supplies as a whole by ensuring the free flow of Iraqi oil to world markets. Benefits to U.S. and U.K. companies constituted an important but secondary goal. The most important strategic interest lay in expanding global energy supplies through foreign investment in some of the world's largest oil reserves, in particular Iraq. This meshed neatly with the secondary aim of securing contracts for their companies. Note that the strategy documents released here tend to refer to British and global energy supplies. British energy securities to be obtained by there being ample global supplies. It is not about the specific flow. To this end, as Whitehall documents obtained by the Independent show, the U.S. and British sought to privatize Iraq or Iraqi oil production with a view to allow foreign companies to take over. Okay, so in the conversation, Sitch says, well, we weren't just like trying to steal their oil. Yeah, we'll do business with them. That That's leaving out the point that we want them to do business with us the way that we want them to. Um, you know, and when you give them the oil interest, the funny thing is like if you look up on Google um, who owns like the Iraqi oil company itself, you're going to see British Petroleum um, and a couple of other gas companies that are listed as partners. So in other words, Another company has the the resource rights in Iraq. Anyway, minutes of a meeting held on the 12th of May 2003 said, the future shape of the Iraqi industry will affect oil markets and the functioning of OPEC, in both of which we had a vital interest. A desirable outcome for Iraq's crippled oil industry, officials concluded, is an oil sector open and attractive for foreign investment with appropriate arrangements for the exploitation of new fields. The documents added that the foreign company's involvement seems to be the only possible solution to make Iraq a reliable oil exporter. So in other words, again, and I've read these documents, this isn't bunk. Their their view of it was, we need to go over there. We need to give our companies control over Iraq's oil so that we can count on them to be an exporter who does business the way that we want them to. Anyway, this, however, would be politically sensitive and we require careful handling to avoid the impression that we are trying to push the Iraqis down one particular path. You know, media analysis claiming lazily that there was no planning for the aftermath of the Iraq war should look closer at the public record. The reality is that extensive plans for post-war reconstruction were pursued, but they did not consider humanitarian and societal issues of any significance, focusing instead on maintaining the authoritarian structures of Saddam's brutal regime after his removal while upgrading Iraq's oil infrastructure to benefit foreign investors. A series of new reports, for instance, confirmed how the State Department had set up 17 separate working groups to work out this post-war plan. They actually go over this in the film, um, No End in Sight, as well. Iraq would be governed by a senior U.S. military officer with a civilian administrator, which would initially impose martial law, which actually didn't end up happening, while Iraqis would be regulated to the sidelines as advisors to the U.S. administration. 
The U.S. envisaged a broad and protracted, a protracted American role in managing the reconstruction of the country, with a continued role for thousands of U.S. troops there for years to come in the defense of the country's oil fields, which would eventually be privatized along with other supporting industries. The centrality of concerns about energy to Iraq war planning was most candidly confirmed eight years ago by a former senior British off, um, Army official in Iraq, James Ellery, currently director of British security firm and U.S. defense contractor Aegis. Brigadier General James Ellery CBE, the Foreign Office's senior advisor to the coalition's provisional authority in Baghdad since 2003, had confirmed the critical role of Iraqi oil reserves in alleviating a world shortage of conventional oil. The Iraq War has helped to head off what Ellery described as the tide of Easternism, or Easternization, a shift in global political and economic power towards China and India, to whom goes two-thirds of the Middle East oil. His remarks were made as part of a presentation at the School of Oriental and African Studies, University of London, sponsored by the Iraqi Youth Foundation. The reason that oil reached $117 a barrel last week was less to do with the security of supply than world shortage. He went on to emphasize the strategic and um, significance of Iraqi petroleum fields in relation to the danger of production peaks uh, being breached in major oil reserves around the world. Russia's production has peaked 10 million barrels per day. Africa has proved slow to yield affordable extra supplies from Sudan and Angola, for example. Thus, the only year, uh, only near-term potential increase will be from Iraq. Um, so there's a lot more articles about this topic, and this one really goes off, you know, and, the, and a lot of this stuff, they, some of the um, links were broken, so I had to go find them. But, like, um, you know, I found these documents, you know, and you can, but there's so many other articles Let's say the same thing when we talk about the different people that are making, you know, making uh, cash over there, you know, Sitch says, well, it would have looked very different, like as if to imply that it didn't happen. Well, it did happen. It didn't have to look different at all. They didn't go over there. And if, if they were trying to make this look like an attempt to try to set up a democracy for the sake of, you know, being benevolent or whatever, I think it would have looked a lot different. It would have looked way different. And we'll get into that when I play the clips of the documentary I was talking about. But private military contractors outnumbered U.S. troops on the ground during most of the both conflicts, and the defense industry stocks soared. So the the money was all there. You know, um, Iraqi oil supply was considered to be vital to British interests. So the English had their own take on this. And if you remember, Tony Blair and George Bush kind of worked together to this end, you know, pushing the whole thing. Um it, this is about a general, just finally saying the quiet part out loud, you know, uh, General John Abedizad, retired, the former CENTCOM commander, said, well, of course the Iraq war is about oil. Of course it's about oil. We can't really deny that, Abedizad said of the Iraq campaign early on in the talk. We've treated the Arab world as a collection of big gas stations, the retired general said. Our message to them is, guys, keep your pumps open, prices low, be nice to the Israelis, and you can do whatever you want and back. Osama and 9-11 is the distilled essence that represents everything going on, uh, going on out back. Um, so moving on, you know, here's another one. Were 1998 memos a blueprint for war? March 10, 2003, years before George Bush, um, George Bush entered the White House and years before the September 11th attacks set the direction of this presidency, or his presidency, a group of influential neoconservatives neo hatched a plan to get Saddam Hussein out of power. The group, the Project for the New American Century, which is what I mentioned earlier, was founded in 1997. Among its supporters were three Republican former officials 
who were sitting out the Democratic presidency of Bill Clinton, Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, and Paul Wolfowitz, all of which were in the Bush administration during the Iraq War. In open letters to Clinton and GOP congressional leaders the next year, the group called for the removal of Saddam Hussein's regime from power and a shift toward a more assertive U.S. policy in the Middle East, including the use of force if necessary to unseat Saddam. In the report just before 2000, the 2000 election that would bring Bush to power, the group predicted that the shift would come about slowly unless there were some catastrophic and catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. That's what 9-11 is about. And this is why there are 9-11 truthers who are concerned that, that, that this situation was manufactured in some way. Anyway, that event came on September 11, 2001. By that time, Cheney was vice president, Rumsfeld was secretary of defense, and Wolfowitz is deputy at the Pentagon. The next morning, before it was even clear who was behind the attacks, Rumsfeld insisted that a cabinet meeting uh, at a cabinet meeting that Saddam's Iraq should be a principal target of the first round of terrorism, according to Bob Woodward's book, Bush at War. What started as a theory in 1997 was now on its way to becoming official U.S. foreign policy, links to the Bush administration. Uh, some critics of the Bush administration's foreign policy, especially in Europe, have portrayed you know, uh, the project for the new American century as, in the words of Scotland's Sunday Herald, a secret blueprint for U.S. global domination. The group was never secret about its aims. In its 1998 uh, open letter to Clinton, the group openly advocated unilateral U.S. action against Iraq because we can no longer depend on our partners in the Gulf War Coalition to enforce the inspections regime. The only acceptable strategy is one that eliminates the possibility that Iraq will be able to use or threaten to use weapons of mass destruction in the near term. This means willingness to undertake military action as a diplomacy is clearly failing. In the long term, it means removing Saddam Hussein and his regime from power. They wrote, foreshadowing the debate currently under the way, underway in the United Nations. Um, and I feel like I'm going to take a second here, taking a break from articles to play a video that I've used many times in the past. To really illustrate, again, and I mean, they both said that they're familiar with this, but I think that it's been so long that people tend to put it out of their, their minds just how bad the lies were, just how diabolically evil the whole thing was. Okay, I lied a little bit more because I can't leave Donald Rumsfeld out. His company, Monsanto, took over the Iraqi agriculture, so obviously another vested money interest involved. They actually made it illegal for Iraqis to save their seeds, and now they're dependent on buying seeds from uh, Monsanto and companies like them, which is a trick that Monsanto's been doing all over the world. Before I get into that montage video, though, I'm going to play a clip from the documentary that I mentioned earlier, No End in Sight, because it started with, hey, can you try to find some links between Iraq and Al-Qaeda? A month after September 11th, the United States entered Afghanistan in search of al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. But even before the Afghan war, several senior administration officials were looking at another target, one that had nothing to do with the 9-11 attacks. When the planes hit the Pentagon, I was in the building. And then, I guess the next big thing that started to happen was we uh, immediately got tasked to see if we could draw any relationship between Saddam and al-Qaeda. I went right away to the, to the uh, counterterrorism group, uh, to their chief Iraq analyst. And the two of us sat down over a few days and looked at all the historical reporting that we could go through. And what'd you conclude? Well, we concluded that there was no relationship. So Dick Cheney and his cronies 
literally just went to the CIA and said, hey, can you please find us some connections between Iraq, you know, and September 11th? And there weren't any. So what did they do instead? Well, I mean, this is actually the document, I might add, that The Guardian was talking about earlier, um, which was the report that was drafted at behest of Dick Cheney to just lay out this is why we, you know, we need to do something about Iraq and fast. This is the smoking gun so far as motivations before the war. But anyway, getting back to, you know, what did they do instead? Well, what they did instead was, you know, because they couldn't find any legitimate evidence, they just had to make some up. So I'm going to use this version that's in one of my videos that I did recently about George Bush, Joe Biden, and Iraq, a bipartisan war crime. Now, this montage is not my work. It was taken from a video that was made um, closer to, like, at that time, basically. Um, And it's actually extremely compelling, uh, and it puts the lies right next to the lies. So if you ever had any question about whether or not they were lying about WMDs or whatever... You know, this will definitely answer it. But this also kind of plays into something I say during the debate with them is that I just so like we're supposed to suggest that they did this advanced, like, you know, getting together and just elaborately lying to the media and to the American public because they just wanted to bring democracy to some small country. And, you know, the fact that that country just happened to be (laughs) in line with the oil interests and the, you know, and Halliburton and all that, that that's just a coincidence. And if you believe that. That's a conspiracy theory, and you should just, you know, look at the world differently, I guess, as Adam said. But anyway, let's go. There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. And, uh, and that uh, we will, in fact, find um, uh, weapons or, or evidence of weapons programs that are, are conclusive. I don't think we'll discover anything myself. It appears that there were not weapons of mass destruction there. You said you knew where they were. I did not. We know where they are. They're in the area around uh, Tikrit and Baghdad and and, uh, east, west, south, and north. Well, first of all, I I haven't lied. There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. Talking about lies and your your allegation that there was bulletproof evidence of ties between Al-Qaeda and Iraq. Was that a lie? Intelligence gathered by this and other governments leaves no doubt that the Iraqi regime continues to possess and conceal some of the most lethal weapons ever devised. Are people going to find out the truth? And the truth will say that this intelligence is good intelligence, no doubt in my mind. I don't know anybody that I can think of who has contended that the Iraqis had nuclear weapons. And we believe he has, in fact, reconstituted nuclear weapons. Saddam Hussein is determined to get his hands on a nuclear bomb. We cannot wait for the final proof. He's got him. He's got him. The smoking gun. He's got him. That could come in the form of a mushroom cloud. Colin Powell didn't lie. My colleagues, every statement I make today is backed up by sources, solid sources. These are not assertions. What we're giving you are facts and conclusions based on solid intelligence. He is not developed any significant capability with respect to weapons of mass destruction. He is unable to project conventional power against his neighbors. Are people going to find out the truth? I have not suggested there's a connection between Iraq and the 9-11. You have said in the past that it was, quote, pretty well confirmed. No, I never said that. Okay. I I think that is... Absolutely not. What I said was, uh, it's been pretty well confirmed, that he did go to Prague and he did meet with uh, a senior official of the Iraqi intelligence service.
Saddam Hussein aids and protects terrorists, including members of Al-Qaeda. Secretly and without fingerprints, he could provide one of his hidden weapons to terrorists or help them develop their own. What did Iraq have to do with what? The attack on the World Trade Center. Nothing! He said there were three main reasons for going to war in Iraq. Weapons of mass destruction. Saddam Hussein has gone to elaborate lengths, spent enormous sums, taken great risks to build and keep weapons of mass destruction. The claim that Iraq was sponsoring terrorists would have attacked us on 9-11. Before September the 11th, many in the world believed that Saddam Hussein could be contained. And that Iraq had purchased nuclear materials from Niger. The regime is seeking a nuclear bomb. Uh, all three of those turned out, turned out to be false. Uh, first, uh, just if I might correct a misperception, I, I don't think we ever said, at least I know I didn't say, that there was a direct connection between September the 11th and, 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 and Saddam Hussein. Who does the president think he's effing kidding? Uh, of course, it was information that was mistaken. There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. Those weapons of mass destruction got to be somewhere. <laughs> Nope, no weapons over there. Maybe under here. When you have a precedent set like that, and you have somebody, George Tennant, acknowledging in his book that he knew that the administration was deceiving the American people into a situation that is murdering young men and women from this country and others, that George Tennant and Dick Cheney and Condoleezza Rice and George Bush et al. should be in fucking jail. So I'm going to stop it right there, but again, this is not like just a series of oops, little white lies. This was a completely fabricated, obviously carefully planned a propaganda campaign that they carried out on the American people. So I'm supposed to believe that they did all of that just to bring democracy to Iraq? Like, that was their motive? You know, I, I just, no, that's just bullshit. Like, they're telling me that I'm the one who's not thinking straight or something, but I just, I, I cannot in any way wrap my head around how that's supposed to be what I'm supposed to believe. That people go to this extent to lie about something, and then the reason the reason that they're doing it is somehow you know uh, supposed to be beneficial to the people that are there. It's just bullshit. But you, could, I guess, what I was going to say before Sitch you know started talking was just to say that we also it doesn't have to just be any one thing. All of those things can be true. You know, when you're dealing with money interests. You know, everybody's got a different reason why they want something to happen. It doesn't well, mean no, that they're not they going to work together no, to make no, that happen. No, they can't both be true. They can't go. They can't literally be making the decision. Like Sitch said, you, the, the goal dictates the, the strategy. So if the goal is really just to make Halliburton a bunch of money, you don't do it the way that they did it. Well, I don't you think do it, it would totally just differently. be because the oil people are going to get what they want and Halliburton's going to get what it wants and Rumsfeld was with Monsanto. They got what they wanted. You know, um, they, in other words, there's more than one way to profit off of what was happening over there and I, I don't think there's any reason to believe that 
the people involved wouldn't work together to bring that about. I mean, when you look at the history of our foreign policy going back forever, it's almost always like some corporation that wants something done or it doesn't happen. Right. You know, right. That's, that's what the whole Marine Corps fight song is about. The, from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, that those are all corporate demanded, you know, wars that were fought. Right, so, by the Marines. Well, I don't know enough to comment on. But if you're specific instances, but no, that's fine. But you, if you're making the claim that the, we went in there to make Wall Street money, it, then if there is no Wall Street, we don't go into. You're making. You're basically inadvertently making the claim that there, if there is no money to be made in Iraq, that we don't go in. All right, that's why we didn't go to Darfur even though they were just rampantly killing people over there because there's no money there. But wait, Darfur is not it's smack dab in the Middle East where we have a problem with terrorism and also a bunch of autocracies. Okay, I guess I'm trying to like grasp exactly what we disagree on because I think there's some things we do agree on. Where Where don't. is Darfur? Darfur, I believe, is in Africa, isn't it? It's been. I just know that there was genocides going on around the same time and there was like zero it's interest. in the in Sudan. Why, why are we interested in Ukraine? Is it because we want to steal all their natural resources? No, I think it's because we don't want Russia to have them. <laughs> that that would be my first assumption. That's part of it, sure. Yeah. We want that when we, as a liberal country, we want to have more liberal democracies and we don't want autocracies to basically take, take liberal democracies over. Yeah. I but don't disagree I, with that. Yeah, I, I think the difference is it's like, it, if... You know, the the war in Iraq was mired with nepotism, obviously. Um, but there's a difference between saying something is mired in nepotism and saying, well, that's the reason that they went to Iraq in the first place, was just to make money. There's easier ways to make money than well, so to then... just construct this whole false narrative about, you know, fake WMDs and do all this, like, super complicated shit just to pay off some people. Well, I guess then my question to you would be then why did they go through the elaborate ruse of WMDs and all that? We, I, we just said. I said you tell us. They, yeah, we they, just told they, we oh, said. I, I honestly feel it's because it was about making money. I mean, they only just See, got so around just, recently uh, to, yeah, they, they only just got around recently look. to even admitting that Saudi Arabia had anything to do with 9-11. That's like, oh, now all of a sudden you guys will talk about that because you're not happy with Saudi Arabia. You know, even though, like, for the longest time, people are like, "Well, wait a minute, weren't most of the hijackers from Saudi Arabia?" Why, I, I what do you mean by admitted? I mean, Neil, people Neil. said that very quickly after the incident. So, Sitch makes the comment that supposedly we always said that Saudi Arabia was involved in nine eleven, and that's actually totally, totally wrong. Um, I went over that again in my George Bush, Joe Biden in Iraq, a bipartisan war crime. Uh, it was a question that, you know, the more reasonable 9-11 truthers have been asking for a long time. So I'm going to go ahead and play this here because it's relevant, and then I'll comment as needed. So the hijackers came 15 from Saudi Arabia, two from United um, Arab Emirates, Lebanon one, Egypt one. This is in reference to the really cozy relationship the Bush administration had with the 
uh, crown of Saudi Arabia. So this is in reference to Joe Biden, like like Saudi Arabia wouldn't even pick up the phone. Um, so then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, now that we've, you know, that uh, Saudi Arabia isn't behaving the way we want, shortly thereafterwards, this report comes out. CBS News exclusive new evidence of a link between two 9-11 hijackers and a man said to be on Saudi Arabia's intelligence agency payroll. We see them together in newly released video turned over to family members of 9-11 victims last month, along with more than 14,000 pages of documents. The evidence obtained from British authorities raises new questions actually renews an old one. Did the Saudi government assist the hijackers on 9-11? The Saudis have always denied that explosive question. Senior investigative correspondent Catherine Herridge has the story. Less than two weeks after 9-11, these boxes of evidence containing personal notes and videos were seized by British police in Birmingham, England. Buried inside, this home video from 2000, now being seen publicly for the first time. The event is described by the 9-11 Commission as a party at the San Diego apartment of two hijackers. While Nawaf al-Hazmi and Khalid al-Midar avoided the camera, Midar can be seen here in the kitchen. Their team would later commandeer Flight 77, slamming it into the Pentagon. The party's host, a Saudi national, Omar al-Bayoumi, who British police arrested after 9-11, and from whom they seized the videos and documents. Three years after the attack, the 9-11 Commission said there was no credible evidence that Bayoumi believed in violent extremism or knowingly aided extremist groups. Though a newly declassified FBI memo from 2017 reports Bayoumi was on the payroll of Saudi intelligence, a fact that was not confirmed at the time of the 9-11 Commission report. I call him a facilitator because he helped them out. Last fall, CBS News sat down with retired FBI agents Danny Gonzalez and Ken Williams, who investigated the hijacker support network. Both now work for the 9-11 families. He helped them with apartments. He helped them with bank accounts. He was also an employee of the government of Saudi Arabia. Among the records, a notepad containing a handwritten drawing of a plane and mathematical equation that an expert said in a court filing could be used to calculate the rate of descent to a target. Bayoumi is believed to be living in Saudi Arabia. We've tried to reach him through the Saudi embassy. It did not respond to our questions, but said in a statement last year, any allegation that Saudi Arabia is complicit in the September 11th attacks is categorically false. The FBI declined to comment for our reporting, Gail. Yeah, raising some very troubling questions there. Thank you, Catherine. So anyway, um, yeah, it was not actually in common parlance that Saudi Arabia had anything to do with 9-11 until very recently, even though apparently they were sitting on that information since 2017. Now we're talking about it all of a sudden. Um, so, yeah. What's the, what yeah, is but it, the, it didn't become official until recently. What Go is ahead. the government line for why we went into Iraq? Their line? The Bush administration line specifically was yes. weapons of mass destruction and, you know, supposedly links to terrorism. Right. Well, that was uh, the rationale, but what was the, what was the upside? Well, the well, upside? Come on, they had a bunch of Iraqis running around with blue on their finger. What the hell was that all about? Blue on their finger? Okay, never mind. <laughs> Let's move on. It was after the 
that was after, but yeah. Okay, you no, don't, I, I don't, you don't understand. remember any of that stuff? No, I don't really remember anything about blue on their finger. No, they had all this stuff when, like, you know, when we first came in and we got out of Saddam, and they were holding elections for the first time, and people had like the ink From, on their to fingers sh- to show that they had voted, so they could to have show that they had voted, and it yeah. was like everyone was just okay, jacking well, each other off about how jacking amazing. off about what an amazing democracy we had started in the Middle East. So that's Adam laughing at me for not knowing what he meant in reference to the Iraqi election that finally took place, but. All of the elections in question have definitely been um, hotly debated, and that's because of the fact that there are major factions within Iraq that are still fighting each other for dominance. Right. Yeah. Right. So, what do they install those dictators for in the first place? Like, or or even just bringing these oh, new regimes? God. What do they do it for? You, you think that's crazy? Who's, that we, who's, wait, wait, wait. Who's they? What What, what yeah. are we talking about? Well, when we're talking about what the United States. Now, hold on. Now, are you saying the elections that were held in Iraq were fake elections? America held fake elections in Iraq? Well, I don't. The citizens in question didn't seem to have a whole lot of favor with the people in question, but it's not the first time that we've done anything like that. I mean, how did the Shah get back into Iran? This is so. I mean, you're just completely. The whole problem with Iraq was Saddam Hussein was Sunni. And there was a Sunni minority, and as soon as they held legitimate elections, the Shiite majority was obviously going to elect a bunch of Shiite politicians who were going to promise for being elected to get revenge against the Sunnis that had been oppressing them for fucking generations. Like, uh, this is all laid out in many different books. Right, kind of like it's laid out on like you know bajillions of articles and foreign policy reports going back forever that the Iraq War was really about profiteering. I, I don't get it um, about okay, the situation. Like, is this really is hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is part of the incompetence that uh, they had in the Bush administration right. because well, they should have prepared for this. So there is incompetence, but then there's also just not giving a shit. So another clip from the film No End in Sight, I think we'll kind of touch on this. This war was conceived by a very small group of people inside the, administra- the Bush administration. They had an entirely uh, naive uh, vision of what Iraq was and what Iraqis would do once the regime uh, fell. In formulating its views on post-Saddam Iraq, the administration relied heavily on a man named Ahmed Chalabi. Since 1992, Chalabi had been president of the Iraqi National Congress, or INC. Widely viewed with suspicion, Chalabi had been convicted in Jordan of a huge bank fraud. The intelligence community found his information unreliable, or even fraudulent. At best, I think, uh, they were liars, and at worst, they were provocateurs. If it's an INC source, it was always looked at very, very skeptically by the analysts, but that wasn't the case with the policymakers. Chalabi asserted that post-war Iraq would be pro-American and easily stabilized, particularly if Chalabi himself was in charge. And so the plan was essentially, we'll stay for three or four months, we will install a government made up of exiles and led by Ahmed Chalabi, And then in August or September of 2003, we will begin 
a um, drastic reduction of troops. Secretary's frustration, um, along with my own, grew as we watched our careful planning, our detailed planning, essentially discarded, and the people who've been involved in it essentially discarded, so that more uh, loyal, in line with the Republican Party's views and so forth, people could be appointed to key positions in, in Iraq. What he meant by loyal was specifically people that held the same worldview as the neoconservatives that were in charge. So it's not just about incompetence at that point, it's that they had very specific things that were important to them and things that were not so important to them. The things that were important to them would be like oil and the things that are not important to them would be like the people of Iraq. The greatest mystery of post-war Iraq involves that month or so after the fall of Baghdad of why the U.S. didn't do anything to control the looting because in a way, everything that's been a problem since then started in that first month. People at the National Security Council, Secretary Powell, myself and others, uh, CIA director did express concern about the looting. Uh, did you express any concern to President Bush? Uh, I was at a meeting where it was expressed by my boss. Tell me what Mr. Powell said at that meeting. Well, you know, it's not the way we generally work. Our advice to the president is generally kept that way, private to the president. The word came from Washington that we're not getting involved in that. We're not, we're not going to stop the looting. We're not doing police work. That's not what we're here for. And I think... So there were explicit instructions from Washington to not interfere with the looting? Yes. Hospitals, government offices, universities, ministries. One CPA estimate had the cost of the looting at $12 billion. That was the revenue for Iraq in 2003-2004. I picked up a newspaper today, and I couldn't believe it. I read eight headlines that talked about chaos, violence, unrest, and it just was henny penny, the sky is falling. Just imagine the room, the suite that we're sitting in, and all that you have is concrete walls. Everything is gone. We're talking people coming in with, with industrial cranes and walking off with parts of a power plant. Think what's happened in our cities when we've had riots and problems and looting. Stuff happens. This was not just people stealing stuff from grocery stores. I mean, this was people chipping concrete walls into little pieces so they could take the rebar out. The images you are seeing on television, you are seeing over and over and over, and it's the same picture of some person walking out of some building with a vase. I think that was probably the day that we lost the Iraqis. And you think, my goodness, were there that many vases? <laughs> uh, is, is it possible that there were that many vases in the whole country? That's when it became very clear that this liberation really didn't have anything to do with the average Iraqi. So they knew about the looting and the rioting that was shortly after they had finished their invasion, and they just chose not to do anything about it. They did, however, secure the oil infrastructure because they had their priorities. And while Donald Rumsfeld is basically doing his fiery but mostly peaceful protest <laughs> um, analogy, I guess, um, because of the fact that he just was downplaying it. That, that's exactly, they were just pretending it wasn't going on. That, that's not incompetence. That's I don't give a shit. That, that is just flat out callousness. You know, the oil is pumping or it's going to be. We got that straight. 
but the people of Iraq still don't have electricity. They still don't have the majority of their infrastructure. And we were there for a very long time and very little of it got done. Um, what was motivated, you know, as I, as I pointed out earlier, well, you know, as far as the construction, you know, what the motivation was, was to make as much money as possible when whether or not it was effective or being used properly was completely secondary to that. There was a very strong um, preference on the, um, by the Pentagon to have American companies doing the work. And there are numerous instances where local Iraqi contractors proposed that they could do pieces of work for much, much less than, in fact, the uh, American contractors could have done. Ann and I took a very different approach to our work than many coalition units have, because we worked very, very closely with the Iraqis. If we're sitting in a meeting, it was Americans um, and Iraqis, and the Iraqis had just as much say as we did. We were building border forts right next to forts being put up by the Army Corps of Engineers through that big American contractor, Parsons. I mean, we had our forts designed, built, and dedicated in a period of about five months. I think when we left, the Parsons forts, which had been started maybe a year before we arrived, were still not finished. Well, this is this but is this what played I mean. out. This literally played out. This is what I mean when I say, if the goal was money, it would have looked differently. Because of course, we, because America, when they, you know, when the people were kind of elected in Iraq that were elected, and they basically didn't want to have a joint coalition government with the Sunnis, America didn't want that. America wanted them to have a joint coalition with the Sunnis, and they said, well, fuck you, America. Yeah. And that's kind of This is how we sparked, do democracy. <laughs> right, and that's kind of what sparked the whole, you know, everything falling apart after Saddam left. Yeah. So that's why I just, I don't believe this. I Like, if the goal was just America comes in, takes the money, takes the oil and all stuff, it just, everything would have looked so different. America would have dictated so much more, uh, would have been so much more hands-on controlling after the invasion. And, I mean, who knows? It could have even been more peaceful. I don't know the answer to that. But. So you believe then instead that the the objective was like some kind of humanitarian, we need to get rid of this bad guy thing? You actually believe that? No, not humanitarian. It well, was it is some, ego, to some well, level somewhat, humanitarian it was, because it was, first world democracies kick ass. It was, I mean, George W. Bush thought, like, God was speaking to him. Do you remember? He all, you know, he said all this weird shit back then. He yeah, thought he, he was going to be like. a lot of weird shit, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, he thought. So it's more likely that George Bush is just crazy than it is that all of these money interests that made enormous amounts of money, you know, had something to do with it. I, I just, that's just ridiculous. But he, he was going to be the one to bring peace to the Middle East. Um, I'm sure that's Ooh, what he told I everybody I publicly, but I don't, I mean, I don't okay. really think that's what's... Then why did the they, background. why did they even allow them to have these elections that ended up screwing over American interests in the first place? Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, obviously, well, we're talking about incompetence at the time. I think that they just screwed it up. I don't think it was in their best interest, but generally what happens when we show up at these places is we ensure that whoever takes over afterwards is friendly to our interests. But we so, can't ensure that if we have a fucking election. Okay, well, if you are confident that that worked out, that would be fine. I, you know, Like I said, that's why I brought up the example of the Shah in Iran. But th it wasn't, th hold on, this we is just what, installed that guy. Yes, and that, yeah, which is a completely different situation, though. It's, no, it's the same motivation, though. With he, they weren't playing ball. They weren't doing the oil the way we wanted it. So that's why their elected guy needed to be gone. 
and then we put their um, previous prints back in. We put their, I mean, this, all their royalty. This makes the argument. This exactly makes the argument. And I don't. I mean, I don't know about the Shah of Iran situation as well as I know the Iraq stuff because I lived through it and I've read a bunch of books on it. So the Shah of Iran was exiled because he was corrupt and was basically giving you know Iranian resources to corporations. They did a election in Iran and elected a guy who wanted to nationalize Iranian oil. And that oil was going to be used for the people. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, Saudi Arabia, for example, gives checks. Um, I think Kuwait does too, uh, to the people who live there. That's kind of like their share of the oil, uh, just like we do in Alaska. But the reason I was drawing that parallel is because one way or the other, we got what we wanted. And anybody who showed up afterwards in Iraq was going to end up doing what our oil companies wanted them to do. But the Shah of Iran, we replaced because the I, Iran had, we were running into resource problems, right? We had all the problems in the, the 80s. So it was a financial thing where well, Iraq yeah, was a completely the, different situation. With, with Iran at that time, the, their elected leader was going to nationalize their oil and wasn't going to allow our corporations to have power over it anymore. So he needed to be gotten rid of. Right, for but that this reason. this makes the argument that that you know they had a different that was motivated strictly for resource acquisition. So they went about it the way you would if it was for resource acquisition. We knock over their leader and put ours in charge. But Iraq is a completely different situation. And you're basically saying they had the same goals, but they didn't act as if they had the same goals. They act as if they had completely different goals. So I guess then it kind of comes back to I'm not clear what you guys then therefore believe were the goals and what were the motivations. I said it was they want, he just, thought he was going to start a liberal democracy that was going to create a domino effect of liberal democracies right. through the Middle East. Yeah, yeah the, the neocons always say that, but it, it never That's what they honestly believe. They honestly right, believe yeah. that. Yeah. No, I know, and and they don't even hide it. And some of them think it's better for our um, national security if we do that to the. Well, it would be. Well, but you're you're saying though that that's just the cover story, and really, it's all about the money. But in your situation and in your worldview, Neil, you mm -hmm. you only have one lens to look at both situations. They did it for the money. I, I'm starting to think maybe you have one lens to look at all the situations. It's always about the money. This is when the gaslighting begins. It's not the overwhelming evidence that I've already shared in this video that was already in my head when I got into this conversation. It's not all the experiences that I've had over the years, you know, working side by side with people that are involved with foreign policy. It must just be my lens, whatever the hell that is. Which is that's just a bad way to look at the world. Well, it 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 won't happen if there's if the money interests are not interested. That's for sure. And I, I get that you know you feel that that's a bad way to look at the world. I'm just from my perspective, that's that's what it is. When you talk to people that have been involved in it, like when I worked for Senator Gravel, he had all kinds of problems. Specifically, you know, any anti-war candidate, for example, gets attacked big time, you know, by the media or just removed from existence altogether as best they possibly can. Mm -hmm. um, if they're the most powerful lobby in the country, you know, so I, I get it. I just, um, for me, it's just, they, they lied so spectacularly and so often to get us over there. I, I don't think that in the long run, I don't, I don't believe that they really cared about, um, the, the end result, you know, they, they did manage to secure the oil. They got that done, 
Um, they didn't rebuild didn't any they? of the infrastructure. I mean, and, Saddam well, if you look Hussein at it says the, the beginning, oil field's on fire, did. yeah. Well, no, they yeah, they fixed that. But it, like, it's been a really long time since I've been down this rabbit hole. That's why I would suggest watching No End in Sight, because they talk about the fact that literally their first priority was to go in there and get all the oil fields. When Biden sent troops into Syria, it was literally to secure an oil field. Yeah, but why is that? There's a very logical reason for that, though. For securing oil fields? Yeah. But that's, that's oil interests. No. If you're going to fund a government that's that you're trying to prop up and build in a new country and you're going to try to prevent rebels from being able to finance the rebel movement you have to take the resources that generate money yeah so you're, you're thinking all that money was just intended to go right back to the people what's the people's resources no i'm sure that what they this is this is how it works in capitalism they wanted to, the government was going to pay presumably a private company or was going to say, hey, or sell the oil. The U.S. government actually. was going to say, hey, uh, Iraqi government, you know, here, you know, create some oil contract with a private company where you guys reach an agreement about, you know, you pay basically they'll pay they'll pump the oil for you and they get some amount of it and you get some amount of it. Yeah, and you use the money to basically create security and positive create your country in, yeah. in the region. Yeah. So, I mean, America didn't just say, we didn't, I mean, I could be wrong about this. I've never heard, you know, I've never seen evidence of this, that we evaded, that we invaded Iraq. And then we said, hey, Exxon, here's oil. Just take all yeah. the oil and just put money in the Exxon account. Don't you? Well, as I demonstrated near the beginning of the video, um, that isn't what happened. It's not necessarily physically taking the oil. However, those companies now have the rights to the oil that is in Iraq. Remember Trump got in trouble? He said we should have just taken the oil. <laughs> right, like that, that didn't oh happen to my oh, knowledge. I, I, I certainly remember that. Um, a lot of it usually ends up having to do with making sure that whoever is in authority will, will do business like with us, with whatever it is that our corporations... Right, well, this is not... Okay, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. Doing business with America is not saying that we're stealing all their oil. No, like that general said, we treat them like a gas station and we get to set the prices. That's not the same thing as doing business with them. I mean, um, Saddam Hussein would have sold them oil. The issue is that Saddam wasn't selling it to them the way that he, you know, that we wanted them to. You know, we more or less just kind of hold the monopoly on the oil spigot and everybody else has to, you know, do business with us. That's the way we prefer things to be. That's how the project of the new American century wants things too. So it's not just, oh, okay, yeah, and we established trade. Good job, guys. No, it's you're going to do what we say. We just destroyed your country. We only rebuilt the infrastructure to make sure we got what we wanted out of it, which was the oil, and here we are. Okay. Okay, well, you know, I haven't, again, it's been a long time <laughs> since I've talked about it, but okay, I still think enough. that, you know, it comes down to the fact that we didn't really have any reason to be over there. We did. We worked really hard to manufacture reasons to be over there, mm -hmm. and then I we didn't find any of the things that we see. Like mm -hmm. so, the, I kind of tend difference... to lean in the direction of like so. For example, like Halliburton got no bid contracts to well, I do all the, the things they did over there. I know so like they, we're going to the... say that that has nothing to do with money. I know all the, the talking. Does it, no, is it, again, yeah. I said there's a difference between nepotism and that's the motivation for why we're going over there in the first place. Right. Oh, well, that's why I said all of those things could be factors that lead to the same thing. We're talking about a big mechanism when you're moving the, 
the U.S. military. Yeah, but but I, I, don't, I think money has a lot more to do with we're it. We're drilling I think you into guys the. Do. We're d- drilling into what gets the actual invasion going, and you're saying it's the it's all about the Benjamins. Yeah, I I, right. I still feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So that stupid idiot doctor whatever in the chat at this point is making comments like I'm just narcissistic or I have some kind of mental problem, which is why, like, you know, they, he said that they took a sledgehammer to my worldview and I just still wouldn't change my mind. The reality is, is as I've already demonstrated in this video, I, I guess, you know, they didn't really know what they were talking about, which was kind of astonishing to me. Because this is, as I said, to anybody who studies foreign policy, this has just been common knowledge now for years. You know, nobody tries to defend Iraq anymore because everybody knows that it was bullshit. You know, and everybody knows that crazy amounts of money were made from it. The only thing that I would say that is changing now is that people have lost perspective. And for some reason, you know, all it takes for Liz Cheney and, and them to be popular is just to start shitting on Trump. And then all of a sudden, all of this is forgiven and we don't care about any of it. So anyway, that's going to conclude this part. This is already very long and it's like 3 a.m. where I am now. And um, I'm going to do another part going forward uh, about their issue, you know, their issues with me specifically arguing about how money affects campaign uh, campaign, basically how campaign finances affects elections. And they acted like the idea that money has anything to do with it is kind of crazy. I I don't get it. Um, A lot of really strange takes, but. You know, to to sum it up, as far as what we were talking about, their view apparently is legit that somehow the Bush administration concocted this ridiculous lie and went to extreme measures to do so, including what really are impeachable offenses, just out of some strange, like, uh, benevolent interest in opening up a democracy in Iraq. And Sitch said things like, well, it would have looked so differently, you know, if they were just there for the money, you know, watch No End in Sight. I'll provide a link to it. You can actually watch it for free online. Um, You can pirate it, I guess, if you want. So it's an older documentary, you know, but there is no fucking way. If you want to talk about what the war would have looked like, if they were going over there trying to create a stable democracy, there are a lot of things they would have done differently. Like way lots of things. I just don't want to like play the whole documentary, but they go through all kinds of it. There were just colossal mistakes that were made. And and that's why I said, sure, we can discuss incompetence, but there's also I just don't give a shit. They secured the oil interest. They made sure that any future government of Iraq would, you know, would play ball with us when it came to oil. Um, you know, there have been some new uh, revelations that I stumbled across while I was researching this that I'll share with you guys later, though, because it looks like China is dipping in. Um, but at least at the time, it was planned well ahead of time by the Project for the New American Century, the neoconservatives, to set you know the stage for we need to go to Iraq, we need to control this, we we can't let Saddam just sell his oil the way he wants. He's got to either play ball, you know, ball with us, so we're going to get rid of him. You know that was already on the table, which is the reason why as soon as nine eleven happened, that was their like a Pearl Harbor event. And then they're begging the CIA, hey, please connect, you know, Saddam Hussein to 9-11. And it was nonsense. You know, 
And meanwhile, Saudi Arabia, who we were all bosom buddy with at that time, because we were literally like launching our attacks from their lands, you know, was had, actually legitimately had involvement in 9-11. And, and we've never done anything to them, you know. So in any case, I was kind of shocked that anybody still had this take. You know, I, I, I still don't get it, you know, but whatever. Um, <laughs> thanks again for tuning in, folks. Um, this has been a long one, and I, you know, I've got to eat some food and then go to bed. But I really appreciate your support. I'm going to do another video on this topic later. You know, hey, maybe with any luck, Sitch and Adam will review this video. But either way, I felt that, you know, when I'm in these situations and people basically are gaslighting you and telling you that, you know, you're wrong about something and you have researched this topic, you do know what you're talking about. You know, I feel compelled specifically that I owe it to the people who follow me that I make up for it when things like this happen, because I wasn't as prepared. I guess I kind of trusted them that like I wasn't going to be put in a situation like that. But, you know, he said later, well, that's why we brought you on. I just if you want to fight with me about something, by all means, we can do that, you know, but warn me ahead of time so that I could be prepared because instead it just looked like basically they were just making me into their their, their punching bag by the time it's over. Now, mind you, it was really mild in this video. That's another thing that things hadn't gotten completely out of hand yet. And you're going to see the rest of it in part two for sure. What compelled me to need to do this? So thanks again, everybody.